Entrepreneurship is a podcast by and for entrepreneurs. We talk to founders and innovators about the shit they're going through and how they work through the reality of building a business. We won't call it, we'll call it a holiday special. It's a holiday. holiday end of the year podcast. Where we all lose our money. Yes. Well, yeah. We or, just gamble all our money away. Yeah. No, it's not really like that. It's mostly just, hey, we have to spend all of this money to grow, and then hopefully somebody gives us more or we start making money really quick because this shit is hard and it's really scary, and you can be the only one talking about how scary it is. Yeah. Or, or thinking about how scary it is because if you tell anybody else how scary it is or how cl- – da- I mean, you – you can share how down to the wire are you might be, but it's pretty fucking terrifying to pretend like, or to, to know you have enough money to pay the bills. You have enough money to cover outstanding invoices, but you pretty much only have enough to pay yourself enough, a ramen diet, but not the good kind. For the are, next are, two you, months. are you ready to talk about how down to the wire you got? I mean, I could talk are, about are it. Are you ready to put it out there? Publicly? I I, th- I think I'm I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, I I don't know if I want to get into super details, but the reality is, this is a very common thing that a lot of entrepreneurs go through. Uh, I've I've gone through it. I've seen it happen. It's a uh, it's a scary feeling, and there's something about having money in the bank that even if it's this VC, you know, venture backed seemingly monopoly money you don't have the sort of visceral survival instinct kicking in and uh it's a it's a really wild experience to pretend like that isn't that part of your brain isn't engaged when you're getting down to the wire can we we talk about some context though can we go back to like earlier this i mean i think i i don't know if we're gonna keep any of this this part i just kind of want to prime the pump a little bit like I'm happy to talk we're about all it. of we're it. In it. It's uh, all we're, going in. We're definitely talking. Oh, okay. Can we talk about like sure. the people that were on board at the beginning of the year? They're not on board now. Uh, yeah. Uh, are you are you refer- who are you referring to? Just two people that because of financial circumstances. Oh, you're talking about yeah. So we had a we had. Are you talking about employees mm-hmm. and how we couldn't afford to pay them anymore? Yeah. I mean, I, so if we can go through it, I'd like to just talk. Like beginning of the year, you had to cut down this the team you had for financial reasons and you were trying to the essentially big, tighten the belt figure out how to navigate your your cash flow scenario that you've been dealing with that most of the year right so not really no so we what had a we had we had a you know a six figure investment which isn't a lot in the whole scheme of things but it was a lot for us at the time and it seemed like a lot more than it actually ended up being and one of the biggest lessons I learned was that we kind of we hired for we hired for roles that we weren't ready to fill. I spent a lot of my time delegating things that probably didn't need to be done just yet. Sure, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of legwork that got done and super appreciative of what did happen, but I hadn't even figured out how to, you know, run the basic functions of the company. And all of a sudden I was, I was delegating, uh, you know, fairly defined roles. And that was, that was a, a short sighted mistake on my side. Uh, and, but the thought process at the time was that you had this investment and, by putting that money into it and hiring these roles, it was going to lead to the ability to go out there and either raise more money or start driving revenue. Right. Yeah. That was the that was the intention. That was the hope. That was the goal. Perhaps. I, I think that's perhaps naively. Like, it's like, yeah, I want like this is how much we have. This is how much <laughs> it's going to last. Uh, software development ended up costing almost three times more than I expected, mm-hmm. and at least just to get to our MVP. It, I mean. So there's a very now I now I know there's a very good reason why the top notch accelerators like Y Combinator and Techstars they don't take companies that don't have a coder on the founding team because it is so expensive yeah. like it is crazy expensive 
not only that, you don't have somebody who is actually writing the code who knows or maybe even cares about the f the long-term vision and mm -hmm. the direction of the company. Mm -hmm. They're just checking off little mm -hmm. boxes. They're saying, okay, here's a list of backlog tickets. I'm going to build this feature. I don't really know what their objective is, but I'm going to do it because they're because that's what I'm getting paid hourly to do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you are it's 6 8 months later, you've spent, you know, almost $20,000 a month and you don't have a completed MVP. That is brutal. Well, you're outsourcing out offshore, right? We were outsourcing to a to a uh, an agency in Denver, and then for most of that, uh, they had local devs, and then trans eventually transitioned to offshore. So, when you got your initial investment, like how much runway were you ex anticipating, and like what what was your game plan as far as were you expecting in you know six months you were going to get more investment based on the investments you were making into your operations and team, or were you like, this is going to last yeah. a year? <laughs> yeah. And short, no, no, no. I, I didn't have a, I wasn't, I didn't have any illusion to think, del delusion to think that uh, it was going to last a year. It was yeah. like, okay, we need to get to this next, mm -hmm. next milestone, which was have an MVP, launch it. Yeah. We were trying, we were trying to fit it into this strange seasonality of selling into the K-12 education market as mm -hmm. well. Like, let's get something out there so we can roll it out for the start of the, for you know, ideally, before the fall semester starts, so we can start testing it and iterating and doing yeah. some pilots and get maybe getting some you know evidence based research, et cetera. And I and this was basically mid March when some when a sizable check came in, raised a little bit more money after that. But once we got to about uh, October September, um, and we still didn't have an MVP, and we, you know. So clearly revenue was out of the picture. I, you know, we had a couple of early stage pilots that ended up signing LOIs, but an LOIs doesn't really mean a lot. I mean, it, it means yeah. it's like, a, it's a vote of confidence, but it's not a binding agreement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I anticipated that we were going to need more cash and I kept pushing for it. So yeah. I was doing that simultaneously. So the, we're, we're in this, we're kind of in this purgatory period um that we're now out of at least temporarily uh you know fast forward to now we're in the middle or the early part of december 2021 and you know we have a, we have cash runway uh and now we know how to spend it a lot yeah. more conservatively and responsibly i don't think we were being irresponsible considering the mindset that we had uh then the naive mindset that we were going to be able to close more money and or have a sellable product mm -hmm. in that time frame. Neither of those things happened. So it put us in a really tight place uh, and forced and forced a, you know, one of my early, I mean, we, I have to make a lot of decisions. I have to make decisions that affect other people's lives. And, he, you know, I, um, it sucks, man. It sucks to, I had I, I we started with uh, we started with the furlough, and then my co-founder got sick and she was out of out of commission for a month. It was it wasn't COVID related, but she's doing and she's doing totally better now. But it was just a really weird time where I didn't have I went from having you know three full time uh, people I was working with in addition you know I mm -hmm. I, I'm, I would be the fourth mm -hmm. in addition to you know the contractors and consultants and stuff that we had not consultants yeah. for uvc's listening we don't hire consultants yet <laughs> <laughs> they're too expensive um but yeah so it was just kind of this weird lull this weird dip period in the fall and i was expecting i was hoping expecting some mm -hmm. more cash to come in yeah and i i mean i guarantee you every every investor that i was talking to could sense the desperation like there's no way they couldn't and i was i was trying to bottle it up i was trying to bottle it up for employees i was trying to bottle it up for investors to make it seem like everything was hunky-dory even though when you dug into it it was like you guys are gonna fucking run out of money which is right. between between that and you know i i can't remember what the 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 two big, biggest causes of startups failing, that's definitely one of them. And it's scary, man. It's scary because, you know, I started to picture what my life would be like 
you know, again, naively thinking, what's my life going to be like when we exit this company and blah, blah, blah. And I become, you know, and I can, I can just do like, I can just whittle wood for the rest of my life on a porch, (laughs) you know, like I, 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 that's your why. That's my why. I want to whittle. You're a wood whittler. I want to whittle. So uh, like looking back, do you think you, spilling beer everywhere? No, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Do you think you would have maybe apart from not rushing into hiring people, but would have also, gotten more money than you initially like would you have continued to try to get more for your initial investment before starting into your mvp so and 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 this is not a slight in any way on the people we hired and that was a decision that was a conscious decision that i made that my co-founder and i made together uh we hired people prematurely realistically we did not need them when we hired them and we were paying you know both certainly below market rate, but mm-hmm. you know a, a sizable amount per month, and all, and that was my first foray into you know into payroll taxes and in, oh, and yeah. you know setting up all the systems of payroll and paying employees in d- multiple states and set you know all of the n- ridiculous uh, bureaucratic things you have to do in order to set up. Um, payroll taxes and unemployment and all that stuff in those different in, in those different states and it's it's just wild and all of that you know, you know it absorbed so much of my time and i and we were paying those people you know those two awesome employees that i hope we bring back someday but it was just clear, it was yeah. just too early like we, we, of- we could have we probably could have taken that initial investment mm-hmm. or that in, those initial few investments mm-hmm. and made it last definitely through the end of the year and instead yeah. we were out by august it was like holy shit yeah dude yeah. La- labor is brutal and i know we're like in a totally different field but but i think it's fairly similar across the board i mean like labor is just it, it's such a driver of expense and it's so i mean <clears throat> it's the biggest it's our biggest line item for queen city we have certain numbers that we're always trying to hit and it's like we want to be right around 30 percent or less in our labor and granted we're like a labor intensive type of business but but it's such a driver of cost and that's like it's it's brutal and i can only imagine like you know for where you guys are at and you raise a decent chunk of money and to feel like okay if we can get this product ready and you get it to that mvp stage then it's like well now we got to go take it to market or take it to customers or or you know present it to the next uh round of, of investment that you're looking for and be ready to hit the gas pedal. Yeah. And that I think is, I mean, it's not unique to you at all. I think so many people deal with that. It's like, when do you make the hire? Who do you hire? And how do you bring them in? I mean, one of the things, again, I'll just kind of, it's very different industry, but like for us, it's been looking at hiring a, um, a salesperson, essentially like a wholesale yeah. salesperson. Mm-hmm. And, for the longest time we have struggled with like, what's the right structure around that? You Are know, they going to be able to pay for, pay for their own salary very well, quickly? How, how do you judge that? You yeah. know, it's like, what are the metrics you're holding them to? And, and how did, you know, in the beginning, we, the first uh, wholesale salesperson we looked at was like, okay, could you just do commission? And for most people, it's like, well, fuck. Well, I, can't I have to sell a shit ton of coffee. Yeah. 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 Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, that, that would be hard in most situations. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But at that yeah. time, it was like, we can't afford to pay you any base salary unless you bring in more. And now we can pay somebody a base salary. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how do we like then structure a commission thing on top of that? And when you're dealing with like you're talking about, you know, you're not paying a market value, but you're it's not an insignificant amount of money. I mean, That's, it was more than I was paying myself. Right. For sure. Yeah. And there's something strange about it. And I think I've moved people moved past this having gone through this experience but there's something there's something like strangely ego boosting about having employees and not in a like i wield power way but like i now can empower people with money from this company even though the reality was it wasn't money that it wasn't money and value that we were creating it was someone else's money they gave us to to build value and so that was where i needed to find a little bit more balance like i love the idea 
of employing a lot of people and having them make good salaries and having them be happy. Like there's, those are for, I don't know what it is. It might just be an innate thing for me, but I love the idea of that. Mm -hmm. I love being a source of economic develop or economic growth. I love being the source of, you know, and, 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 and I, and have I, the machine to exactly yeah. did not, they're, they're, we didn't have the machine yeah. built yet. Yeah. yeah. And I was pretending like I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice. Like I think about that a lot. I'm like one day I'm going to like have these benefits. We'll pay everyone yeah, really well. Like paternal, like, like yeah, paternal yeah. leave. Do like, everything dude. that you're like looking around. And you're like, yeah, fuck that. I'll do that. And then, and then you think of the reality of like all those costs too and like how to make it work. And then, Oh and then dude, go, it, oh. as soon as you see the actual numbers and yeah. those actual numbers equate to actual money in a bank, you're like, mm -hmm. Holy shit. Well, and it's interesting because it seemed like there was a lot of like hidden external costs that, you know, no one's just like, ex no, there's no like fucking booklet to be like, Hey, if you set up like payroll taxes and you're not accounting for your time and was the cost of that against developing your MVP, all your business development, apart from like just the, the actual costs of like setting systems up. And, and those are the things that I always find like really frustrating, What whether it's like my real job, my actual actual job, or like just, uh, just like all the businesses that I manage on the side, there's always these costs that come up and you're like, what the fuck? Like, you know. And, the, and yeah, you want someone to give you a playbook and be like, hey, so just just think about like your time and like what's the opportunity cost of your yeah. time setting this shit up. This is why you see VCs. You know? I mean, I know that you're in a different realm, but, you know, when we're, when you're pitching to VCs, they're asking you they ask you questions like how much money you're raising, what are you going to use it for? Right. Mostly not not because they are like necessarily worried that you're going to overvalue it or whatever they're worried that you're not going to ask for enough money to get where you need yeah and and it's a it's a another delicate balance you're trying to say okay i don't i mean first of all and i think one of our guests previously talked about this don't fucking worry about dilution just yeah. don't worry about it so because your company's not worth shit right now that was andrew was and we andrew. did not post yeah. that episode but oh, that's a yes. very valuable lesson so. it's a totally valuable lesson like Get out of your fucking head. Quit being an egomaniac. I know. Yes and no. I would argue with him a little bit. Maintain control of your company, of yeah. course. I'd rather give away equity and and keep votes. I think personally, I, I think the the tone. What I would go is, don't be scared of giving away equity. Well, don't be yeah. don't be scared. I mean, yeah. If you go on Shark Tank and you give away fifty percent, fifty one percent to Mister Wonderful, yeah. your life is going to be a living hell. Fuck yeah. that guy. But so here, here's part of the reason I would love to have Andrew in the room right now and ask him because now that he they hit a tipping point, mm -hmm. and this is all stuff that the listeners not like. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to put his episode out, but he talked about like 25 million assets under management was the tipping point for their company. Right, they had to get to that point, and then they could yeah. all this other money would pile in. He was so burnt out with where you were at and where you've been this year. Just and keeping he, things afloat. Just, yeah, and just trying to figure the fuck out that he was at that point where I think he was saying that to the certain extent to say, like, it doesn't matter what the fuck you get away. Just get to the point yeah. where it becomes the machine, where the drivers are just there and the machine's mm -hmm. there. And I think there's some truth to that to a certain extent because it is the machine has to be put in place to do exactly what we were just talking about, to provide the, the, in, the um, salaries and the benefits and everything else right. to the team. But... Now that he is, they've gone way past that tipping point, and this is all public. It's out there. They're at like ninety million assets under management now. Now, when you have a conversation with him, he's like, I wish "I'm it. very selective <laughs> of who I'm allowing into this or what equity I'm giving away." Do you think he would? It's, it's a totally different dynamic, yeah. though. Yeah. At this point, the the influences are different. Before, right, it was one person potentially taking a lot of control and now it's like trying to maintain or build a healthy culture. Yes. I just wouldn't buy wholesale into like, just give away all the equity you can and take on as much. No, money as I, no, I'm not, I'm not advocating for that. I think it. You, it's how do I build, how do I get to the place where the machine is working? And for, for Andrew, it was, they needed to have a certain amount of assets under management before the machine started to roll. And I think for you, yeah. it's sort of how do you get to the point where the machine can roll to where there's recurring revenue, where you know that there's something that's happening. 
Well, there's so many amazing programs right now, especially for software as a service companies where you can basically, where where these platforms, I can't remember their what they're called, pipe.com or something like that, uh, where basically investors will purchase monthly recurring, uh, will, will basically pay you what you would make in a year for monthly recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. And they get a like an annual return off of what's basically a loan, and it's it's kind of a brilliant way to uh, to put cash get cash in the business yeah. because yep. because you can do it based on what you're actually making. Um, sure, there's you know some fallout and some churn, but the reality is like if these if these uh, clients these customers are paying monthly. Um, it's a lot better for us to have all of that at, at lumps in in a lump sum. So mm-hmm. I want to uh, either encourage them to pay in bulk, and I'll give them a discount for it, or pay pay in advance for the year or two years or whatever, and I'll give them a discount for it. But now these programs will incentivize are incentivizing companies to do monthly, which is better, which is you know more palatable for the customers in a lot of cases like i only have to commit to this or whatever um as long as they have a good or a fairly low churn rate Mm -hmm. and they're able to uh make more than they would from then you know giving a 20 percent discount for an annual subscription well that's where to me like personally i think even though our industries are so very different i think just getting a customer getting revenue, getting money in the door is so paramount to like the next steps in money mm-hmm. because it's, I, I think yeah, that yes, or a very clear path to get there. Yeah. But I still think, I think if you're going to go that route you're talking about, then you have to be able to raise significant. It's, it's what we've seen in Silicon Valley for so long, right? Which is I'm going to go out there and raise money on that clear path, but I'm going to raise a fuckload of money because of what you've had to deal with already, which is like you're 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 putting money out the door every single month, yeah, to pay for your employees, to pay for your overhead of of what it costs to like your developers, even if they're fucking offshore, you're still uh, how much would you pay? How much are you paying right now for your developing development team? Uh, Percentage. You don't have to say it. <laughs> no, it's, it, the, the hourly rate for a senior dev is like $45 an hour. And that's, and that's offshore. And that's offshore. That's offshore. Yeah, and that's, that's less, not. that's less than half of what you would pay here. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you think, and, and how many development hours do you need in a week to get to the next step? I mean, it really varies. Um, some, I, some weeks, some weeks it's lower, some weeks it's not, it's yeah, it varies. And, the, and, and the flexibility of that is kind of nice, but we also suffer from, you know, they're 12 hours ahead or whatever the time difference is. And they don't really understand the long-term vision. And we can't, we don't, we don't have a hacker on the team who is spending the weekends figuring out how to, how to, how to move our app to the blockchain or doing cool shit like that. Like we just simply don't have it. I mean, the opportunity, you you need to have to your earlier point, you need to have people on the other side that are clamoring for what you're going to provide. And it might just be 10 paying clients. But I think I, you have to have a clear path to like, so there's somebody is going to pay you one day for this. So I, I, if you asked me the same question six months ago, I would have agreed with you resoundingly. However, I think the, I think there are variables that you have to consider and the variables depend on the market and the type of product and who you're selling to. And, you know, if you're if you're selling coffee, fucking roast a have a small roaster. You roast a couple different types of coffee and you go sell it somewhere. I get that. I mean, I'm I'm obviously super oversimplifying it. You know what we've encountered with going into the education K twelve education market is that and and it's particularly challenging with software because you can't just come out of the gate with an enterprise level product that you can sell to a school district. There is so much shit that has to happen in between now and then. And like we there and, and what you're seeing is companies, the companies that are most successful, that are growing the fastest, that have the kind of viral growth strategy and the, and it's working, are giving away the product to teachers, to whoever the whoever the school-based users are for free. Mm-hmm. And that is a way to grab a bunch of the market as quickly as possible. 
but there's also a bunch of stuff that you have to do between you know you know uh compliance and data security related things making sure that uh there's a there's a safe um there's a safe single sign-on for students to log in where they, where it protects their personal information, yada, yada. There's all these things that we've learned about. But the other piece is right now, and this might be debatable, but right now we don't have a platform or a type of product that we could either make purchasable by like self-serve purchasable online or something that we could sell to the district level. Because it, once we get to that point, we're going to be uh oh and the other piece once once we get to that point obviously we're going to have we would have had you know years of experience we would have evidence based research etc but the other piece is that oh i freaking forgot what i was going to say well let me ask you this while you're going i hate to- when i do that how do you it's cuz it's cuz we thought just left the building it's cuz we do these fucking podcasts so late at night man i'm tired well let me ask this okay. question though because i think yeah where, what is going to, what I hear you saying is like finding a customer, a paying customer right now is not your priority. So what is it? What's it would the be, metric or what is the thing that you're going to have to do to go raise the money that you need to raise to take that next step, to be ready to bring back, like start hiring a team? Cause that's significant dollars. I mean, this, oh. you're, you're starting to talk about raising seven figures to like not have any income coming in and to then go out and raise a significant amount of money from the venture capital community to go and do what you're going to do. So what, what are you going to have to do to get to that point to prove to them that there is a path one day to returning their money? So the path is very, a very clear route to revenue generation. And what does that mean for you right now? Like what, (laughs) what do you have to go do in the next six months to figure that out? specifically tactically you want me to get into the weeds on it because yeah. i'm happy to yeah so the short answer is we need to get people using this and we need to iterate on the on the mvp of the platform and we're doing that we're onboarding people personally we're skipping developing a like a, a fancy walk like per, you know tutorial tutorial walkthrough of the of the app itself and we're doing it manually because that's what's required my co-founder Jess and I are literally going to be sitting on phone calls with educators and, and and ideally picking out nuggets of wisdom that we wouldn't have seen otherwise, or we're going to, and, and uh, you know, and that will dictate what we build next or how this goes. Uh, the other piece is that we are thinking about the market that's currently there. So we're taking, you know, to, to, I forget what the, who the author is, the blue ocean strategy, taking that blue ocean concept and really fitting into the existing market and filling the gaps is, is a huge up is, is a, is the clearest path to revenue because what we can do is kind of work alongside the existing players, the incumbents who are already, who are already there and aren't offering what we're offering, but doing it in a way that is, you know, collaborative and hey, we work to we work well with these groups. So part of it is like is building a platform that say, okay, we can eat, we can supplement or augment these tools, and we can do it in a in a in a way that you can afford. Uh, and ideally, we start to, you know, we start to piggyback sales or for, or work yeah, with companies yeah, yeah. that so have been the these legacy companies that have already figured out the sales channels and we say hey yeah. this is all, now it now you can sell this and wholesale that, that makes sense to me you got to go find the user i mean you have to follow a little bit of the the facebook instagram sort of mentality of like just go get a fuckload of people using the product i also and in this case is probably not a fuckload but it's a lot i also and it's go find the partner the strategic partnerships the people that you could generate revenue through the add-ons or the the partnerships that you're talking about totally. that makes a lot of sense totally and one other variable that i forgot to mention and it's so interesting because you see this happening right now with facebook aka meta where i don't know if you guys have seen the ads but they're basically advocating for like increased compliance and all this shit mm, in yeah. the name of hey we're a good company but the reality is Dude, i don't want to live in mark zuckerberg's fucking world well no the reality is <laughs> That, that's like, another, it's a, another that is a very <laughs> that is a very clear tactic that the that the market dominator mm-hmm. wants to prevent other people from yeah. entering yeah. the space because yeah. the reality is 
if 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 it was still fucking 2004 whenever facebook started there were 15 companies just like that trying to start and sure facebook was they won mm-hmm. however the the barriers to entry at least regulatorily regulatorily uh is yeah, that a word that sure nice. uh are we're, we're we're way lower and that's yeah. and, and the case for us is you know and this is why a lot of investors are you know you have to tug at the heartstrings you have to say like this is like yeah i could go sell i could figure out how to repackage this software and go sell it to corporate types i don't that's not that's not where we're going to make the impact we got to make if we're going to if we're going to help people if we're going to you know do do what we think we can do with our product we got to get it into the hands of teachers and chill and kids but how, but, how the, but the problem though? is one, one more piece that i was going to mention and the, and to come back to the regulatory and compliance thing is that the uh one one stipulation for companies that are selling into the k-12 marketplace there is a uh, a no bid threshold for for so if we sell to if we try to sell to a school or a district above a certain uh, a certain amount per month per school we have to enter a bidding war with all with 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 the incumbents or whoever else and the reality is they're probably going to win mm-hmm. even if their product is isn't isn't as good or or is because they have all the other data or they figured out their sales organization so i'm i'm experiencing firsthand what meta facebook is trying to prevent other companies from entering the market. But what we can do is ideally, uh, I mean, I, I still think it's, I still think it's ripe for t- disruption. The, the primary, the biggest company that's, that we're facing is fucking pemper, pencil and paper based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it, it's not, it's not data driven and it's not scalable and kids are bored out of their minds. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, so taking all of that though, how do you, how do you pull that back to, you need more money you need to do all these things. It's very complicated. There's a lot of compliance regula- regulations because this industry, this space is like pretty complicated. It's going to take a lot of time and money. So how do you, how do you plan for that? And like, what, what are the next steps? Cause clearly you need a lot more money and then you're yep. going to give it away for free. Cause it sounds like your strategy is Cause to, we have to. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how, like I'm trying to pull it back and go, well, well like, so what's, what's the, the next, step what's the next step? Funding. Because like, I, I, I thought I mentioned it, but the, oh, no. the, the, the next step, the immediate next step is, uh, is onboarding this, you know, I, I assume you guys, I think we read it in business school, the crossing the chasm. Are you, yeah. are you familiar with that concept? Mm-hmm. So we're in, we're in this stage where we have a, you know, a, a solid MVP. It's been influenced by a lot of user interviews, a lot of early stage conversations, some pilots, some, you know, and, uh, and, and we're feeling really good about it. However, we could have missed the mark on a few things and we don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of development until we can, you know, question some of our hypotheses or invalidate some hypotheses. So what we're going to do in order to get to that stage is we're going to find this, you know, before it's like the pre early adopters. These are the, the, I forget what they call them, the innovators or something in, in the crossing the chasm concept. These innovators are the people that, you know, bought the iPad when it was a turndial and it was enormous and it had three gigabytes max. Right. You know, that's the kind of, and, and, and they don't care because it's just like, I want to try this new thing. So we have to identify this, the, like, se- the segment of the segment mm-hmm. that is cool with that. And we basically use that to realistically influence a gut feeling of what to do next. I know that sounds crazy, but like you, you start is, to- is that like getting them on board? Is that then, I guess, again, to go back to the fundraising thing, it's then you're taking that back to the venture community. So this basically, yes. So this, I also want to mention that, you know, there are venture capital firms people. I mean, we were really fortunate to have, you know, our, our, most sizable investor does not have experience in this space in particular works with a lot of SaaS companies uh and has teenage kids so that was really helpful um for to kind of 
jumpstart yeah yeah, jumpstart it so tugging at the heartstrings is a huge aspect right now but the reality is we just need to get this into the hands of the people that we think are going to use it and if they're not using it or don't want to use it we need to know why Mm -hmm. and we need to be able to pivot quickly um i I'm going to, I feel very confident that we're doing the right thing. We're going to identify, you know, I basically have 2000, uh, I have two, a, a, a list of like pre-qualified warm leads, yeah. 2000 people in about four different sort of micro segments. And those are based on roles in demographics and region and various other things. Um, and we're going to identify you know, which ones are performing the best. We're going to say, I, I, I imagine we're going to get a lot of feedback by like, Hey, I'm, this is cool, but it needs to do this. And we're going to be like, and, and we're going to have to be like, okay, you're absolutely right. But we can't talk to them right now. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, so we're going to be like, we're going to get back to you when we can build that. But right now we can't, we're going to find the people that will use what we have. That's what we need. What do you think? In the next three to like three to six months, yeah. it's gonna be your like top objectives, and like what do you need to accomplish, and and like what do you think are like what are the conversations you're gonna have next with venture capitalists? You think or so the investors? You have yeah, or investors? Yeah. Yeah. So we have conservatively, we have runway through the end of the summer, right now the end of summer of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I don't, I, I mean, if, if, if we're just trying to make it last as long as possible, mm-hmm. I hope to find out in Q1 of next year, whether we're going to raise more money or we're, we're like, if, if we're able to hit XYZ milestones mm-hmm. that we'll be able to raise more money. I mean, I'm anticipating a 500 to 700k round, oh, wow. which is lower than I was originally expected. But the reality is, we're not going to get a seven figure investment or get in the, you know, the one and a half to $3 million range investment until we're like, we're in go mode until you have a customer. Yeah. Yes. Or a strong user base. Yeah. People are loving it. It's, you know, yeah. th- at this point it's about, you know, w- I mean, we've been able to raise about 350 K through anecdotal conversations and pure just fucking grinding and that's we can't survive on that we can't subsist on that we have to actually prove some you know some real kpis Mm -hmm. how how close to zero did you get and you don't have to tell us the number but like was it oh dude i had days i mean Personally, or the company? The company. <laughs> well, did, uh, well, so, or you just give us a solid number. Was I had ten. So, twenty for, for our for our vendors who might be listening, and uh, oh. we we had enough money to pay outstanding invoices. Um, I wasn't accruing any more invoices. I was starting to consider shutting down our, you know, software as a service platforms and like getting down to the bare minimum because I was going to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have been basically covering I, I, I would have had enough to cover my living expenses and bills mm-hmm. uh, for the next three and a half months. Mm-hmm. And then I would have been figuring out what the fuck I was going to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was totally it was down. Tight. To, it was very tight. It was too. It was it was tight enough that. I was starting to th- it was starting to cloud my judgment mm-hmm. because I was starting to feel like I was moving into survival mode. Mm-hmm. And that is a dangerous place to be because I couldn't afford to be in that mindset. Well, yeah, I mean, I, need, I, I, I needed to be totally fucking on it and it's really interesting. And I, w- I want to point this out too on the topic of, you know, when to be transparent and, and open and vulnerable, being vulnerable and open and, and sharing our situation and showing that I wasn't giving up and showing demonstrating that I was going to be, I was going to persevere, even though we were, you know, I, I would, I don't want to say we were fucked because we'd be fucked if we were in debt or we owed people money. Like it was just fucked because I was going to keep doing this and I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to give up. Um, 
and it was starting to cloud my judgment. And I, so I basically, I, I really, I want to be a huge advocate. Now I'll, I'll, I'll harp on this until the day I die. Now keeping investors tuned in and looped into what you're doing and, and, and what you, where you need help, because literally we use that term angel kind of as a colloquialism at this point. But the reality is I fucking got saved, dude. That was, I, I, I sent out this investor update email that I sent out about 65 people, prospective, current investors, you know, community members, supporters, et cetera. If I hadn't sent that email, I wouldn't have gotten an email say, Hey, come meet me for a coffee on Monday. I thought that was going to be a conversation of, Hey, you need to get your shit together or what the fuck or what the fuck, yeah. or how are we going to, how are you going to raise money? Their conversation was, yes, it was, you need to get your shit together, but I'm going to help you get there. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, Holy fuck. The, the massive weight is lifted. But the reality was like, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't say I wasn't panicking. I wasn't scared. I had a tactful plan and I showed, I, I think I showed that I was, I was in it. I was in it for the long run and I was worth investing in. Yeah. I think there's two there's two things that and part of the reason I think we wanted to touch on this subject was because like watching you go through that over the last six months or so, I think a lot of you hear these stories all the time with entrepreneurs that get to that point and then when they're really transparent and when they're really doing exactly what you did. I've I've read you know, multiple accounts of people being like, I just sent out a really vulnerable email. It's like, hey, we fucked up or we learned this lesson or here's where things went wrong. And the, the when you put that out into your community, especially people that have bought in and believe in what you're doing, the way they respond oftentimes is, yeah, we know we've been there. Here's what we can do to support you. Hopefully exactly, they've been there. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or they understand like. I think a lot of times if people can be empathetic to that, it's like, I wouldn't know what to do in your situation. Like if you gave, you know, most people 250, 350, 300, $400,000 and said, go start a company. That would be terrifying to me. Well, but I think a lot of people can, yeah. can put like, themselves okay, in I the do? shoes of that person and be like, I wouldn't know what decisions to make either. Yeah. Well, and you when do, you can go you in there and be like, here's what we did. Here's where we are. And here's what the like reality of the circumstances are. I think people can react to that in a way that, can be like what you experienced i think the other thing that just watching you go through that and again i know we've all sort of been there in different ways that survival brain shift that you're talking about i mean it's a flight or flight mechanism and it's i think it's something that you have to be unfortunately most of the time it has to do with money um because it is that's the that's the life blood of a, a company but yeah. i think it gets to that point well I it's, mean, I've it's seen a lifeblood it, to our society right it, yeah. it, it's this thing you can, where it's you like literally you're can't go to the fucking hospital it, if right. you don't have enough money yeah exactly so when like you're restricting the blood flow of your lifeblood of money <laughs> that's coming in i mean it becomes this thing where it's like yeah. that moment or that survival instinct it gets really i mean it was where you were at for probably what two months it was where i was at for a couple months and i was I was really struggling, man. Yeah. I was really struggling. And and I think the hard part for me is I, as anybody who's listened to any of our podcasts knows, I, I, I tend to be not really have a filter and I try to be, I, I'm fairly authentic in almost a disarming way. But like, I try to be because like, I don't know how else to be. Um, but the reality is I was fucking terrified. Mm-hmm. I was fucking terrified and I had to pretend like everything I when I stopped pretending like everything was cool and I asked for genuine help and I showed that I wasn't going to give up that was what did it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't I I didn't flip over, I didn't panic, I didn't you know, I I I didn't even ask this guy to give me more money. I didn't even ask him. Mm-hmm. It was it like and I and I know this this is anecdotal but I didn't ask him for more money. I I went up to meet him in Boulder for bre- for for coffee after I was pretty clear that I'd never I would not get any a follow-on investment with this guy and I was sitting there with, for an hour and a half we got to know each other a little better and I think he could just sense that I wasn't fucking giving up for anything mm-hmm. and you know but I w- but I I mean 
we've had a whole conversation. We've had a couple of podcast episodes about like when enough is enough. Mm-hmm. It was clear that enough wasn't enough. It was just simply I was I was early. I got you know I got let down a few you know exciting paths that I spent a ridiculous amount of time on that didn't pay off. You know with with either sales or angel investment groups. Which are the fucking worst, by the way. Angel syndicates, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what 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 are you gonna take away from the last six months that you'll apply in twenty twenty two? That, um, I guess, what are the lessons learned that like moving forward? Because you're not out of the weeds. Like you got no, you got a lifeline. No yeah, and you yeah, got a it's runway. A, it's for, a temporary lifeline. It's not even a I'm, year. It's not even a year, and I'm just I'm much more. I'm much more aware of what that amount means, what that equates to and what, and, and how to, you know, I, what was your question? Well, I guess like, what are your takeaways? What, what are you going to apply to the next, like moving into the next year? Like, what do you, I'm going to have, I'm going to have at least six months of runway past, uh, when I am going to be trying to raise money again, Mm -hmm. at least Mm -hmm. because, you know, and, and I'm going to, and so, I, I mean, I was I was starting the fundraising process and like the outreach, but it is a way longer process than mm-hmm. you think. You have to spend so much time just developing relationships with people. I mean, some of the earliest stage, this investor that I keep referencing, you know, they the earliest stage groups they're not giving you millions of dollars, but they're giving you know for what for where you're at and the stage you're at, it's a sizable amount. It's a really impactful number. But it's so fucking important to. Uh, fuck, it's so late, man. I always I keep going down these paths and forgetting what I'm saying. <laughs> Takeaways. Well, yeah, I mean, what I hear you saying is like, one, I guess, figuring out like where to cut the fat. It's easy. To, I think it's easy to start adding on layers of fat in the beginning when you get that money of like, well, I need to hire this person or I need to do this thing, mm-hmm. and it's like trimming it down to be like. What's the critical path? Yeah, this is the this the is the, the lean startup concept. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't don't just this is fucking these aren't student loans. Don't just go spend this frivolously. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that's Find what the critical path. Oh, I was, invest in the critical path and be I remember, like, ready to plan yeah. for the the. Yeah. Sorry, I'm the critical I'm path taking longer. I got. I'm also <laughs> feeling a little loopy from my COVID boosters still. I think, but anyway. And the um, beer, maybe. just just have in the beer and the late night, whatever. But I I think just developing relationships with investors, finding the ones that you really want to work with, the ones that can see your passion, the ones that you let see your passion, um, critical in these early stages. But also, I I will definitely give myself some more buffer, some more you know, some more breathing room. Um, I anticipate that I'll be raising, you know, what, what I'm now calling a pre-seed round. I've been calling this first round, the pre-seed round for a while, even though no one else would call it that apparently. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but it has everything to do with like what's going on and where your product's at. Uh, not necessarily, um, how much you raise. And I, this is a a little bit of an aside. I read an article the other day. It was like, we just need to get rid of the terms around rounds and just yeah. it's like i need five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> i need, need more money dollars. right like well it's, I, I think it's i think it's more money again i think it's helpful because you know i, I mean i think it's helpful for identifying vcs because it's like okay yeah. the, these these groups are investing in seed and series a and historically at least for software as a service companies and stuff like this those those have very specific meanings or at least like general benchmarks that you're going for like seed round product market fit series a scale series b build out a real fucking organization and hire a cfo you know those kinds of things plan for exit yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah that was that was a fun six months not really um i'm still i mean and and to be clear like it's not i'm not like less stressed out Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not in survival mode anymore, and that feels good. Well, that 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 was kind of, I think, the point I was making earlier of like survival mode. 
like again observing you and seeing this in other people and experiencing this in our own experience with queen city and i think everybody that kind of goes through that entrepreneurial journey hits that mode of like when survival mode kicks in it's so hard to think rationally it's so well, fucking it, yeah hard. and it's like the the difference in like your clarity of thought and hearing you talk about what's happening um it's night and day once you have oh, a little bit of that breathing room and when that it's like you said it's not like stress goes away or that you know that's it's not still it's totally different stress honestly yeah. the first week after we got money i i was like okay i'm not gonna spend fucking any of this mm -hmm. right now i'm not not even on like the you know whatever software that i think would make my life a whole lot easier i'm just gonna wait i'm gonna say okay what what are what exactly am i going to do with mm -hmm. this and i know and mostly because that money kind of came out of left field i wasn't prepared i wasn't necessarily i'm I, I know what i'm i know what we're going to do with it now but at the moment i was and and i will know every time going forward very specifically as specifically as possible what i'm going to use it for and how long it's going to last because that was way too close for comfort to not know yeah and yeah so it was it was a it was a weird time. I definitely felt like I learned a lot. Now that I can kind of see the forest through the trees, I'm a lot more, you know, excited and hopeful about where things are going. I hadn't given up, but almost in like a you can't fucking stop me mm -hmm. kind of like a stubborn mm -hmm. ego driven well, thing. I think that's a little bit of the survival mode too. Yeah, like it absolutely to, is. You have to believe like I won't be conquered because that's survival. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, I wasn't going to wither up and die. Fortunately, I'm privileged and my family lives nearby and you know, if shit really went south, I would I wouldn't my my physical safety would not be in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. But my ego would have been just fucking pummeled, you know, <laughs> it would have been yeah. brutal, yeah. but yeah, it's, you uh, live in the loft. Yeah. I, People I just, just, before. just <laughs> hang out with the roasters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm feeling a lot more clarity and it was a, it was an amazing learning experience that I'm very fortunate to have had and came out on, the you know positive side of for now for now <laughs> for now exactly i, I have and and i'm not I, yeah, and yeah. I'm, we'll check back in in a few months yeah i gotta pee uh.